Uh, you can be seated. While you're doing that, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for Jesus, uh, the faithful one. And as we uh, study this text today, uh, my prayer is that um, we would see Jesus and, and forever be changed by him as uh, he's been doing um, forever. So that, that's my prayer for us this morning. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I want to think about something for a minute that you have uh, in your home that is used for a unique purpose. All right? Some of you at your house, you have a chair, right? And it doesn't look special. As a matter of fact, this chair is old and run down, but it is your chair. And the seat over time has formed to your seat. Uh, it fits you perfectly. It's your chair. It's set apart for you. You have watched 22 seasons of Survivor from that chair. Uh, you have years of watching uh, the Bears lose in that chair. And if you walk in and you see, wow, hey, take it easy. Just take it easy, all right? So just illustrating, my goodness, all right? So, and if you walk in and you see one of your kids in that chair, you say, hey, beat it, get out of there. It is my chair, right? Now, the Bible's term for that would be little h, right? So keep my little h holy. You have that chair set apart for a specific pur purpose. Some of you, it's a, a set of dishes, and it's been, it was handed down to you uh, from your mom, and before that it was handed down by her mom, and these plates and, and the, this, this silverware, it's in a special cabinet. It is very important to you. You're not getting these plates out for Taco Tuesday, Right? That's not what you're doing. You're getting them out for company, for a special purpose. You might get them out for Easter Sunday next Sunday. These plates, they're for something, they're for a special occasion. Little H, holy. They're set apart. They're unique. They're special. Some of you, you're very superstitious about your sports team. And the last time the Illini went to the Final Four or the last time the Bears were playing really, really well, you wore a certain shirt, all right? And you watched it with a certain friend. And now when the big games roll around, you wear that shirt again. Or, or you watch it with that friend again. You don't wear that shirt for less important games. You certainly don't wear it for other teams. That would be nearly blasphemous. Uh, the, it, it's special. It's unique. It's little h, holy. Now I want to build on that idea for a minute. I'm going to ask you to kind of put that up on the shelf uh, for about 10 minutes, if you'll let me set the table for us uh, this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 21 uh, over uh, the course of the morning. And the text uh, is describing a time of year that we're going to study today when many Jews would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to study the Passover. And Passover was, uh, to the Jewish community, it was a really, really big deal. And you might remember how it started. Uh, way back in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, God had sent Moses to Pharaoh, who was enslaving God's people, uh, and, and kind of begged Pharaoh to let his people go. And Pharaoh at times would say, all right, they can go, and then he'd change his mind and uh, bring them back into slavery. And they'd been mistreated and abused for so long. God says, no, I, I want them free. And so he ends up sending these plagues into Egypt to try to convince Pharaoh to let his people go. Locusts, flies, gnats, blood, all of this terrible stuff. And Pharaoh refuses, he refuses, he refuses. And finally, the last plague is the plague of the firstborn male. Humans and animals. So God said that because of Pharaoh's stubbornness, every firstborn male 
human, animal, whatever, uh, that night would die in Egypt. Now listen, I'm a firstborn male, right? Anybody else firstborn male, all right? Some of you are firstborn males, all right? So you're going to love this next part of the story because the next part of the story is as a a demonstration of of his grace, God said, instead of the firstborn male dying, I will allow for a substitutionary atonement. You can sacrifice a lamb, a perfect lamb, put that blood on the, the door frame of the house, and when God passed through with his judgment, he would see the blood on the door frame and he would pass over that home. Judgment wouldn't come to that home. And there was a meal involved in this as they remembered the Passover. There was a meal uh, involved in this. You can read about that in Exodus 12. But this was the Passover feast. It was remembering and it was celebrating the day God rescued his people from Egypt and allowed his grace to flow to his people. So every year they would flood, uh, the Jewish community would flood into Jerusalem and they'd sacrifice a lamb. They'd share a meal because this is where the temple was and this was the land to which God was freeing his people from Egypt in order that they, they could go to this promised land. And it was a time of memory, of celebration, of pilgrimage. Let me put it into perspective for you. A few years after Jesus' resurrection, a Roman uh, kind of emperor uh, did a census to kind of figure out how many lambs they would need in Jerusalem, just Jerusalem, for Passover. He says, we want to be prepared for all these people coming in. We want to have enough lambs for every family to sacrifice and celebrate and remember the Passover. And his determination was was that they would need about 250,000 lambs just in Jerusalem for Passover. Experts estimate that this would have been about 2.5 million people that entered Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And so at this point in the story in Jesus' life, uh, he has made the decision to go to Jerusalem at Passover time. It says he set his face like a flint and begins to walk there. And we know that he's not just going to celebrate Passover uh, with a lamb. He's going to celebrate Passover and he's going to become the lamb. That's what, that's what Jesus is up to. He's going to go and become the lamb that was slaughtered so that judgment could pass over us and our sins could be forgiven. And we could have the relationship with God we were created to have in this life and then the next. So he walks to Jerusalem, and about two miles before he gets there, he stops. And this really interesting thing happens. Here it is on the screen. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, Uh, If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their coats on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while the others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him, and they followed, shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So like I said, Jesus is about two hours, about two miles, excuse me, from Jerusalem, and he stops. 
And he doesn't stop because he's tired. He stops because he wants to make this point. And he says to, the, to his disciples, say, listen, go into the village and you'll find a donkey there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring, me, bring them to me. And we're told later that this would fulfill the prophecy uh, that the king would ride into to Jerusalem, uh, coming to them on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And both Mark and Luke later will tell this same story. And they record that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the colt. So why a colt and its mother? That's what I want to explore just for a minute. Why the colt and, and its mother? And we say, well, I, I think what was going on is that Jesus would ride in and the mother was there to provide stability and comfort because the colt, according to Mark and Luke, the colt had never been ridden before. And I think this is a question worth exploring. Why a colt? And specifically, why a colt that had never been ridden before for this task? Why is that so important to Jesus? Why is it so important to the Old Testament writer that find the, you're going to go in and you're going to find this colt, grab it, it's never been ridden before, so it's going to need its mother there. Why is this so important? And what I want us to see this morning is that this is not the first time God has done something like this. Let me show you another text um, uh, here in the Old Testament uh, in Deuteronomy 21. Uh, all sorts of, in Deuteronomy, all sorts of rituals, uh, and sacrifices and cleansing for various situations. Let me show you this one kind of unique situation. It said, if someone is found slain, lying in a field, in the land your Lord God is giving you to possess. So someone's been murdered in the promised land, and it's not known who the killer was. Your elders and judges shall go out and measure the distance from the body to the neighboring towns, then the elders of the town nearest the body, and look at this, you can underline this, shall take a heifer that has never been worked and has never worn a yoke, right? So never been worked, never, never any of that stuff, and lead it down to the valley that has not been plowed or planted where there is a flowing stream. There in the valley, they're to break the heifer's neck. The Levitical priest shall step forward, for the Lord your God has chosen them to minister and pronounce blessings in the name of the Lord and to decide all cases of dispute and assault. Then all the elders of the nearest, uh, of the nearest, nearest the body shall wash their hands over the heifers whose, whose neck was broken in the valley, and they shall declare, our hands did not shed this blood, nor did our eyes see it done. Accept this atonement for your people Israel, whom you have redeemed, Lord. And do not hold your people guilty of the blood of an innocent person. Then the bloodshed will be atoned for, and you will be purged. Uh, you will have purged yourselves from the guilt of shedding innocent blood, since you have done what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Strange, right? It's not just me. The shedding of innocent blood happens in the, in the promised land. It is a big deal to God. So he says it needs to be atoned for before me. It needs to be made right. And the response is, well, I didn't do it. I didn't kill him. I didn't murder him. I didn't do that. It doesn't matter. It happened in the promised land. It needs to be atoned for. So he says, here's what I want you to do. Take a heifer that's never plowed, never had a yoke, never planted. I want you to take it to the valley and break its neck. And then all the elders will come and wash their hands over this heifer and you declare before me that you had nothing to do with the death. And then here's what will happen. The Lord will atone it. Now, aren't you glad when you read the book of Deuteronomy that we have Jesus? <laughs> and, and we don't have to go through all of, all of this, this ritual. 
I know it seems weird, um, but, but God has a reason for doing it. Let me, here's what I want you to see. That for a sacred moment, God required a sacred animal. Right? He didn't say, hey, go find some heifer that has plowed for 40 years, that is near death, it's sick, it's almost done. That'll do. You don't even need that thing anyway. It's going to die soon anyway. Find, some, find one that's been working for 40 years, that is washed up, used up, and use it for this purpose because you're not going to have any need for it anyway. He didn't say that. He didn't want an animal that had a common purpose. All the heifers in that land were used to plow. He wanted one that could live out a sacred purpose. He wanted an animal that had never worn a yoke, that had never plowed a field, because it was going to have a holy and sacred purpose. Its purpose was not to plow a field like all the other cows or all the other heifers in that moment. Its, it's, it's holy and sacred purpose was to atone for an innocent man's blood. So he says, no, he's got a separate, a set-apart purpose. Everyone else is plowing fields with their cattle, not this cow. This one's, you're going you're gonna to break its neck, and it is going to atone for an innocent man's blood. Let me show you one more example. The Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament, uh, representing where God lived with his people, it had fallen into the hands of, a, of a, uh, uh, an enemy neighbor uh, for, the, for about seven months in 1 Samuel 6. And it apparently had not gone well. The Philistines had possession of the Ark of the Covenant, and they had contracted some kind of plague, the Philistines had, and they were eager to return the Ark to God's people. Right? So the Philistines were ready to give this thing back, and uh, God kind of goes to his people, and he says, all right, when you receive the Ark back, here's how I want it to go, and here's what the text says. Now then, get a new cart ready. We're not going to use some old, broken-down cart. Get a new cart ready. And two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Take the ark of the Lord and put it on the cart, and in the chest beside it put the gold objects uh, you are sending back to him as a guilt offering, and send it on its way. Again, take these two animals, these two cows, they've never been yoked, I don't want some worn-out cattle that's lived out the same purpose of every other cattle throughout history. I don't want some worn-out cattle that's about to die anyway, some kind of leftover to you. No, no, no. I want a young cow that's never worked, never been yoked. It's got a holy purpose to bring the ark back. It's got a holy purpose, a unique purpose. So every other cow is out plowing fields, not this one. This one has a unique purpose, a unique calling, and I want you to use that cattle to bring the ark back. A unique and holy purpose requires a unique and holy animal. The Bible calls this holiness. It is a person or a thing that is set apart by God for a purpose. And listen, when you read the Old Testament and the New, God takes it very seriously. He says, listen, if I say a lamb without blemish, I mean a lamb without blemish. If I say a cow that's never been yoked, I mean a cow that's never been yoked. If I say a colt that is still with its mother, I mean a colt that is still with its, mother's, uh, with its mother. In God's eyes, throughout the Old and New Testament, special moments require special things. 
So the opposite of holiness in your Bible, the opposite of holiness is a word uh, in the Hebrew, uh, it's often translated profanity, right? And we think of profanity as swearing, and, and I guess in a way it is, but that's not really the Old Testament usage of it. To profane something is to take something holy, to take something that's been set apart by God and to use it in a common way. So it's to take that heifer to be used by God and to put a yoke on it and say, no, I, no this one's young. I'm going to use it to plow the field anyway. I can't give up a young cow to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. I need this thing to plow my field. It's to take what is holy and to use it in a common way. It's to take that lamb that was supposed to be set aside for sacrifice to God and say, hey, Taco lamb night, right? We're going to do do lamb tonight for just an ordinary, regular meal. It's to use the holy in a common way. Now, did you know that throughout the New Testament, God calls you holy? That just like that colt with its mother, whose purpose was to bring Jesus into Jerusalem, Just like that, you are set apart for a holy and godly purpose. God has a plan for you. And the Bible would draw a distinction here between positional holiness and functional holiness, all right? So positional holiness is that in Christ, we are declared holy, all right? So when you give your life to Christ, he looks at you and he transfers all of your sin to Jesus on the cross, and he's able to look at you with all of Jesus's righteousness, And he says, because of your faith in Jesus, your sins are forgiven and you are holy. That is your position in Christ. But there's also functional holiness or practical holiness. The day-to-day decisions that we make that are either holy, set apart, or profane and common. And through Jesus, when we blow it, and we choose the profane over the holy, in Jesus, our position remains holy in Christ. But as his followers, as followers of Jesus, we want to make holy decisions, right? Even though our position is secured through the work of Jesus on the cross, we want to make holy decisions. We want to make good decisions. We want to make right decisions. We don't want to live profane lives, common lives. We don't want to be like everybody else. We are followers of Jesus. So one of the best best decisions you and I can ever make is to say, I want to be set apart. I am set apart. I want to live a holy and set apart life. With God's help, I don't want to live a profane life. I want a holy marriage. Set apart, different. Where we love and serve one another. Not a profane and common marriage. Unhappy, unwilling to serve. Everybody looking out for themselves. Everybody's doing that. I want a holy marriage. I want holy finances. Set apart for God's purposes. Where I'm generous and willing to share and give. Not common and profane finances. Unwilling to give and share. Struggling to make it to my own... uh, Uh, stockpiling for my own benefit, in massive debt. Everybody's doing that. I want my money to be holy. I want a holy faith, set apart, strong, willing to take risks, not weak, fragile, and ordinary, and you get the point. One of the greatest things we can say as followers of Jesus is that that like that colt with its mother, God has us set apart. 
He has a holy purpose for our lives. And I don't want to live a profane life. I want to live an extraordinary life, uncommon, holy with his help. I love what Jesus says. He says, you're going to go into this village and you're going to untie this donkey and it's colt. And he says, it's possible someone might say something to you. And we're not told that, what that is, but here's what I imagine. As they're untying it and getting ready to leave, it might be, whoa, 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 whoa. Where are you going with my donkey and it's cold? I have big plans for this thing. It's going to plow my field. It's going to carry my family. It's going to do what every other donkey and foal does. It's going to do a common thing in a common way. He says, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And here's, he says, here's your response. The Lord needs them. This is the essence of what it means to be holy. It's what it looks like to be set apart. It is to ask the question, what does the Lord need right now? What does the Lord want? What does the Lord desire? It's a rejection of what I want, what I desire, what I think is most important. Everybody's doing that. Read the newspaper. Look at social media. Everybody's doing that. What I want, what I need, what I desire, that's profane. Holiness asks a different question. What is it the Lord wants? What is it the Lord commands? What is it that the Lord desires? And I'm telling you, there is so much joy in this mindset. It is hard because it's different. When everybody's going this way, and you try to get your kids to understand this, when everybody's going this way, you probably don't want to go this way. Not 100% of the time, but usually... Because we're called to be different as followers of Jesus. He has us set apart for a unique and holy purpose. And I love the donkey in this story. This thing wasn't some common, used, washed up donkey, never ridden. He'd never been ridden by anyone. He wasn't washed up and used for common purpose. He had a holy purpose. And I think this was his sacred moment. It was his holy purpose to carry the king into Jerusalem. And what an incredible story he had to tell around the donkey table at every Thanksgiving, right? Tell me about your life, donkey number one. I help plow a field. I help carry a family to Jerusalem to do their grocery shopping. I did this, I did that. What about you, donkey number five? I carried the king of kings and the lord of lords into Jerusalem one day. It was my holy purpose. It was my calling. It's what Jesus wanted me to do. It was his sacred moment. And I wonder what yours is. He has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's, it's different. And I can't tell you what it is, only he can. The crowds in Jerusalem, which were substantial, they're about to have their own holy and sacred moment. They're in Jerusalem for Passover Uh, to kind of sacrifice the lamb and they don't realize that the one who's going to sacrifice himself is about to enter in and they see Jesus and they see him as king and they see him as Lord. And I'll tell you, our holiness, both positional and functional, our holiness starts when we see the holiness of Jesus. 
right? And we're going to see the crowd react this way to Jesus, but our holiness, we are, in Jesus, our positional holiness becomes secured in Jesus, that he forgives our sin and makes us right with God, but our day-to-day functional holiness also starts when we see Jesus, when we see his example, when we, we receive his Holy Spirit, when he empowers us to live a different life, but it, it starts, everything starts when we see Jesus, and we see his holiness. And that's exactly what happens with this crowd. They lay their cloaks on the road. In 2 Kings 9, uh, the text says, this is what they did when they saw Jehu as king. This is what they did when they saw a king entering the city. They lay their cloaks down. This is what the people did for a king. And they're recognizing Jesus as king. It's their holy moment. Look at what they go on to say. They're, they're shouting, they're saying, Hosanna, which means save now. And I doubt they really understood even what this meant, to be totally honest. This is something you see in the rearview mirror, not out the windshield. Uh, they didn't understand what God meant with his salvation. I think they wanted saved from a lot of things. Taxes, Rome, hardship. They wanted their independence back. They wanted to be a great nation again. And God knows that while that is what they wanted saved from, what they needed saved from was their sins. They needed to be forgiven so they could have the relationship with God they were created to have in this life and the next. So Jesus didn't take up a political office because his mission wasn't political. He didn't start a new business to stimulate the economy. He took up a cross. He knew that's what we needed. And some of these people got that. This was their holy Moment. Look at what they said. They said, Hosanna to the son of David. The, the Bible taught that the Messiah and the king would come from the line of David. To be a king, you had to come from a kingly heritage, and Jesus did. He was born in Bethlehem, the city of David. This is the lineage. He was from the line of David, and the people had such respect for David that he had killed a giant, that he had been one of the greatest kings in their history, and Jesus too would come and conquer a giant called death and sin and Satan. And he would become, the Bible says, the king of kings, over all kings, over David, the new, better, and more perfect king. And they're starting to see that in him, and it was their holy moment. Next they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's not just from the line of David. He comes in God's name. I think I've told you this story before, but um, I spent, before I moved here, I spent... Uh, my entire life before I moved here, living in, pretty much in Lansing, Michigan. And uh, my dad lived there his entire life, and he worked for General Motors and uh, eventually retired from there and uh, lived uh, in Lansing until we had to, after his wife passed away, we moved him up to be near my sister, but a lifetime in Lansing. And uh, when I was in my 20s, I was out to brex- breakfast with some friends of mine, and we were just sitting there minding some own biz- our own business, and this guy comes up and he looks at me, And he says, you have got to be Doug Higgs' son. I'd never met him. I didn't know him. I had no idea who this guy was, but he just just recognized me. I carry with me the name Higgs wherever I go. Jesus carried with him the name Lord. He came in the name of the Lord. It's who he is. He's God. He's Lord. This is a holy moment. And then they say, Hosanna in the highest that he is and will always be the highest. It's what we celebrate at Easter. I hope you understand, Jesus is higher than our economy. He's higher than our government. 
He's higher than our fears. He's higher than Caesar of Rome. He's higher and more glorious than everything. And when we see Jesus this way, it leads us to worship, honor, and obey. And it's where holiness starts. Our holiness starts when we see his holiness. When we see his holiness, he looks at us and he says, man, I will transfer in a positional way my holiness to you so your sins are forgiven. But I will also give you my Holy Spirit so that you can live a new and set apart and different life. And without Jesus, none of it's possible. Without his teaching, without his example, and certainly without his Holy Spirit, we will live profane lives, ordinary, common lives. I had to really wordsmith because I didn't want to compare us to cattle or cows at all or donkeys, right? And I've been a good boy in this sermon to not do that, right? But that's exactly what those texts are talking about. That every cow was plowing. Every cow was living out these common purposes, but at different times in, in history. He says, I want you to find one that's never plowed. I want to find a colt. I want to find one that's never been saddled, never used, never ridden. Why? It's got a holy purpose. It's got a unique purpose. This is its holy moment, and you and I are the same way. We're called to live holy and separate lives. All of culture may be doing one thing, and we're called to do another. And it's hard, but it's worth it. And I'm, for one, am grateful for those, uh, for those two kind of paths of Jesus. Here's what I mean by that. Man, I, I am so grateful for his grace, aren't you? When I screw up and when I fail and when I falter and when I lose my temper, I am so, so grateful for his grace. But I don't want to keep doing the same thing anymore either, do you? I'm glad to be forgiven, but I want to be changed as well. And Jesus does both. And it's when we see him and we see his holiness and we worship him and we declare him as king that he does do both. I'll forgive every one of your sins. You screw up, I'll forgive you. My grace is never ending. I'll forgive you. But if you want, I'll empower you to be different, to be holy, to be righteous, to be unique. You won't have to have the same marriage as everybody else, the same finances, the same life. You won't have to do it the same way as as culture. You can go against the grain by the power of my Holy Spirit. You can go against the grain and choose a different and better way. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace and his empowerment. And man, that day that he came into Jerusalem, the crowds begin to see him for who he is. We know We know it wouldn't last, that a few days later they'd be crucifying him because he wasn't the king they wanted him to be or thought he should be. And so we never want to do that. We want to see Jesus for who he is, not for who we demand him to be. We want to see him for who he is. And we know that when we see his holiness, he begins to make us holy. And so I pray for us right now that as we get ready to leave, receive communion and leave this room, that we would not be profane, ordinary, usual, or common. That empowered by your Holy Spirit, we'd be different. Our marriages would be different. Our families would be different. 
our work life would be different. Our financial life would be different. And we know it's what you want for us. We know it's part of why Jesus came. He came to forgive our sin, but he also came to empower us to live a different life. And so we want both, which is great because that's what Jesus came to do. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to receive communion right now. And uh, on this special day where we remember Jesus arriving into Jerusalem on a, on a colt, never been ridden before, an unusual kind of common calling for him to carry the king of kings into Jerusalem. And uh, we want to remember in this moment that Jesus came to do the same thing for us, came to set us apart, make us unique, make us different, to make us holy. And so we want to uh, receive communion right now that uh, reminds us that our sins are forgiven and that we are empowered to live different lives. So they'll pass it out here and you can hold on to the cup the two cups stacked on top of each other and just thank God for his grace and thank him for his power. Uh, Repent of any sin like I do uh, during this time of like, man, I've looked a whole lot like everybody else this week. Um, God, would you forgive me? And and he will. And God, will you empower me as I leave to to be different from this day forward? And he he does both of those things. And so we want to just hold on to it and then I'll come up and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you his blood poured out. My prayer for us as we get ready to leave is that we would remember that we are forgiven, that we would celebrate his grace, but we would also remember that we are empowered, that we would leave this place, understand that we are, we are empowered to be and to look different. And that's a high and good calling. And may we, by his grace and through his power, live up to that calling. Go ahead and stand and let's close with one last song. We'll see you back here tonight at 7 for the concert.